0: Welcome to the PowerCast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. It's an absolute pleasure today to have uh, the legend of himself, Dr. Andy Galpin, on the podcast. Uh, someone who's hugely, hugely knowledgeable and I've taken a huge amount of education and interest in the, the information, the content you put out, I think to the cutting edge of everything that's out there at the moment. Um, so, if you could give us a brief intro about yourself, Andy, and uh, where you're from, what you do, uh, your background.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I am a full-time scientist. I am a professor, and I run the Center for Sport Performance at Cal State Fullerton, so in Southern California. Um, <clears throat> you know, my day job is really to to run the center, and uh, what that means is we have seven different laboratories, and the whole goal, overarching those. Laboratories is to study and disseminate uh, research that enhances sport performance. So that's it in one aspect. Um, I also teach, of course, in graduate classes in the area of program design, um, sports nutrition, like kind of anything in that, that realm. And then I work uh, on on the side with professional athletes. So typically, Major League Baseball players and a lot of combat sport athletes. So on everything, every aspect of human performance could be the strength conditioning, could be the nutrition, could be um, larger practices, performance optimization, if you will. Could be really anything that enhances their performance. So that's uh, the, the quick overview of kind of what I do. In terms of, obviously, you
0: briefly mentioned there, about obviously you deal with a uh, wide range of athletes do you find there's a lot of challenges say for example with uh, completely different structures if you have some athletes say if they're american football players who are like 350 pounds versus i don't know 200 pound uh, like long distance runner 180 pound long distance runner i presume that throws different challenges to you
1: yeah i mean honestly the biggest challenge is uh what i typically say is there's bigger person to person differences than there are categories okay and so if i have two ufc fighters they may be more different from each other than the one UFC fighter is from a major league baseball player. And so the baseball player, the hundred or 230 pound baseball player may be actually pretty similar to the 150 pound female fighter, Yeah. but they may be way different than a 220 pound uh, boxer, yeah. if you will. So those are the, those are bigger challenges, just person to person um, with the exception of <laughs> the glaring challenges like uh, baseball is different because the ability to say, put them on a very specific diet is, is almost impossible because they're traveling to a different state every three days. Um, so we can't just be like, well, oh, meal prep, <laughs> like it doesn't work. It's not Probably. possible. Um, but on the other end of the token, they have millions of dollars at their expose at their disposal, where that may be different from a, a Olympic wrestler who like is not going anywhere anytime soon, but the challenges are are quite different. So, uh, those, those are pretty dramatic, um, weightlifters or even like MMA fighters or boxers, they don't know when they're going to compete again. There is no traditional in-season, off-season baseball player. I know right now when he'll have to report to spring training seven years from now, the schedule's already out. Like I know exactly what he's going to be doing. So those are major categorical challenges. But in terms of the nitty-gritty, the soft uh, part of what we do, those are bigger between the person than they are the category.
0: What's your um, opinion out of interest on – it's something I've been investigating using with clients is uh, genetic testing and epigenetics looking in to try and looking op- into trying to work out what people's genetics are and optimize training around that. Is that something you think there's merit in? And-
1: no. No? No, not at all. Uh, with some very, very few exceptions. Remember, I was just uh, actually teaching a clinic this weekend in Chicago, and this is a topic that I covered, but uh, so it is more nuanced than I'm about to say, but because we don't have two days to get into it. I'll give you the shorter version now. Paraphrase. Yeah, no, I think there is a future there, of course. Uh, things will um, get better, but th- there's a couple of genetic markers that are fairly well known. Um, I don't necessarily think we're at the place that where we need those genetic tests to understand what those things would tell us. For example, some of the more um, verified things to look at are like, are you a fast or slow metabolizer of caffeine? but we don't need a genetic test to tell that like you're automatically going to know that or it's very easy to figure out with one dose. Um, Do you process or digest lactate? Well, likely. Okay. Again, um, if you're lactose intolerant, you know, (laughs) so we don't need to really get into these things. So I don't worry about them too much. The, from a performance perspective now for some health markers, if you want to know whether or not to be likely carrier cystic fibrosis, because you're thinking about having children. Okay. Then genetic testing can be very helpful. Uh, but from like a determining which type of tro and training program nutrition you're on, again, there's, there are a few of them like, okay, do you process saturated fat? Well, that are okay. But for the most part, uh, it's not that I don't find any value in them at all. It's just uh, every time I'm making a decision with any athlete, it doesn't matter if money is in the equation, resources are at some point limited. So their decision making time, their their mental acuity to deal with things, uh, how many things they have to worry about. And so I'm very, very specific and cautious with what I'll throw at them. And I'm always running a cost benefit analysis. And for right now, the cost of one more thing they have to pay for, one more thing they have to think about, one more, oh, yeah, what did that say? What does that mean? Um, I just don't find the information relative to the other changes I can make that have a much bigger impact. Um, you combine that with the very questionable accuracy and veracity of those things, um, I, I'm, typically it's not a big part of my practice.
0: Do you think you'd be just better off listening to your body's own biofeedback anyway, like you refer to, obviously, if, if you're lactose intolerant, you know about it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's that with a lot of things.
1: Yeah, The other part of it is, do um, genetics don't tell us what you are. So it tells you, say, example, you have this particular polymorphism, uh, but how biology works is a gene has to be expressed into an actual protein. So just because you have the gene for something doesn't mean you're actually expressing it. It doesn't actually mean it's there. Um, could be up, could be down. And so there's not a direct, like, oh, you have this gene, therefore you have this with the exception of if you are missing a gene, then then we know you're going to be missing a protein. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But other than that, again, it doesn't tell us the actual state. And so it would kind of, the equation would be like, if you want to understand kind of traffic in a city, it's like, yeah, you can look at where all the streets are, but you don't actually know where the cars are or aren't. So how much help is it really giving you? Like, well, I mean, you're going to be able to tell, okay, that's a big city versus a little city. But it's not really telling you the current state of anything.
0: It's too much of a general statistic.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's not telling you what's actually happening. It's right. telling you what's possible. Yeah. But you don't know what you're actually doing. So I don't find much futility in it. No, just something that's been spoused around recently is something that's... I think, People vulnerable. love new, man. People love, like, what's the new thing? What can we do? Like, can we get an advantage? And I don't mean that as, like... um. Uh, Taking a shot at people because people do want to make sure they're giving the best services possible to the people that are paying them. So it is not necessarily a bad trait. um, From the back end side, like when you're charging somebody money, you do want to be making sure you're giving them the best possible chance for success and that they're getting that value. And so I don't blame people for it. Um, So because of that, I think it is good that we keep our, our ear and our eyes on the future, what's going on. We should try things, we should experiment with things. And I love it when I hear people say, Yeah, I tried this. Great. And like, I want to know in a year come back and tell me in a year like, okay, you've done this to 500 people. Are you finding success? Like if you are, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're an idiot. I'll be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then the more people I hear say that, like that, that is powerful information. So I don't want to dissuade you from doing these things. I, I just, for me, it doesn't land in my costs and analysis personally, but I'm glad other people are trying things and that's the only way we move forward. Right. We don't, we don't move forward. If we don't collect new information. So.
0: Yeah. I think it's one of those things sometimes there's, obviously there's clinical research, but then there's uh, anecdotal evidence sometimes. I think some of yeah. that sometimes can be a placebo effect. Like you said to a client sure. that this training program is built for your genetic profile and will make you superhuman because they believe consciously that's what's happening. They will probably put more into the training and they get better results, even if it, it would complete BS,
1: but they would have co- mental questions. Yeah, that's without it. question. The studies. You see what I mean? No doubt. And then this is why the, the, we'll say the plural of, of anecdote is not data. Yeah. You know, like there's a difference. Yeah, I agree.
0: I agree entirely. So uh, it's cool to get your opinion on that. Um, m- Moving on, for obviously, from genetics to epigenetics, what's your opinion on like the post-workout uh, window after training with athletes, that whole anabolic window bro science has talked about? What yeah. What your actual thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's it's for, it's kind of funny because it's ran a bit of a pendulum, mm. right? It was like we first found out about it and we were all super excited. We're like, great. It's funny. Oh, like, you- the training. All right. And then it was kind of like, well, turns out that's not exactly how it works. Um, but then I think we swung too far to the other end, which means, okay, literally doesn't matter. But that's not true. Um, so if we unpack this a little bit, here's what we currently know in the best state of evidence. Um, if muscle hypertrophy or optimizing, maximizing muscle hypertrophy is the primary goal. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter when you get your protein throughout the day, as long as the total amount of protein in a sort of a 24 hour window is equated and probably in addition to that um, timing of that protein does matter so for example what is probably quite clear at this point is if you had 200 grams of protein in one serving a day um, that will not work as well as 200 grams spread across multiple meals then how can you come back and say timing didn't matter it clearly does matter um, do you have to have it within 31 minutes of post-workout or 61? No, but that doesn't mean timing is irrelevant. Those are two very different things. People have to t- pay attention to what words mean. Um, this is going to get so far into pedantics, but it, it's an important because it shows the message. Um, one of the things I always talk about is the phrase, I don't like. Right, so if if I ask you right now, um, do you like American football? You may say, Oh, you tell me, do you like American football? Not particularly. Okay, so you don't like American football, right? Well, that's different than disliking football, right? So if you don't like it, it just means you're telling the absence of like, that isn't saying the presence of dislike. Those are different things, right? So if you're like, I dislike it, it makes me upset. I don't like it. Negative reaction, that's dislike is different than just not liking. So if you're like, well, what do you think about, um, what do you think about uh, these types of red pens? You'd be like, I don't know, I don't like them. Like that just means like I don't like them. I don't dislike them. I don't really care like this is not something that's there. So the same thing can come back to this protein equation. It's like well just because just because you don't have to have it 30 minutes doesn't mean timing doesn't matter. It does matter. This doesn't have to be probably in that exact window. And then if we expand this conversation further and it's like well if we're, what about we're, if we're talking about an athlete who is working out and eating at 11 am or working at 11 am and they haven't eaten yet. How's that window change if they're working out at 4 p.m. after five meals? How's this change for an athlete who's working out at 5 a.m. and it doesn't eat until noon? These are all different answers now. The the importance of getting that uh, protein in uh, changes now. Uh, In fact, I could tell you a little bit about it, but I'll finish this point and we can come back to this if you want. I mean, we're running a study right now on intermittent fasting and muscle hypertrophy and well-trained people to, to try to get at some of these things. Uh, and in this case, the intermittent fasting folks are training in the fasted state, and they remain fasted post-training, uh, where the fed group is clearly not. And so we're going to see more detail about uh, what this happens. But to come back to the original point, we can come back to the study if you want. This is still only the conversation of protein for muscle hypertrophy. Like, we haven't even started talking about what about carbohydrate timing that timing matters a lot. What about for an athlete? What about for somebody who's trying to lose weight? Like, so depending on the goal, the relative importance or unimportance of the post-exercise eating window changes. And so it's not that like, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we're not telling everyone you absolutely have to have protein immediately after exercise. But I'm also not happy we're telling everyone literally the timing of food doesn't matter. This This is totally untrue, especially with the athletes I work with who are almost always training twice per day, if not three times per day. That timing matters a tremendous amount because the counter, what people will say is, well, like timing only matters if you're going to train like two or three days in a row, but no one does that. Like what? Well, like probably not bodybuilders. Sure. Cause like you train your quad and you give it a couple of days off and train it again, but any performance athlete almost surely trains the same muscle multiple days in a row. So, um, it, it's just unfortunate that too many people that are speaking about the information in that space are coming at it with the assumption that all of us are only trying to maximize hypertrophy. And we're only talking about protein. Um, so it's just that part of the conversation that they leave out when they're talking about, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it, it does matter. It matters a lot. Mm. Do you think
0: people worry about the minutiae too much? As in, like, they, for example, they, they take things to too much to extremes. So it's not like you have to have uh, nutrition post-workouts, so therefore it has to be straight away immediately or not. Yeah. It's not. There's no, like, just eat when you're ready to eat and listen to your body in terms of when you feel hungry, and then eat.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think we want to do that. I think we have to be careful about just like the listen to our body approach. Um, Any sports psychologist will tell you listening to your brain is a terrible idea, right? Like you need to talk to your brain, not listen to it. I'd say the same thing about your body uh, for a whole host of reasons, because there are other factors like ads, like social media that drive what you want to do. And so it drives how you feel. Um, Same thing post-exercise. You don't necessarily want to always just listen to your body. You want to um, certainly pay attention to what's happening, but that's, um, if we only respond with how we feel, we'd probably sit around, sleep and eat pizza all day. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not, not the best strategy ever. Um, I don't think that we are getting too nuanced with it. I actually think that it's a bit of the opposite where, um, yes, extremism is there and extremism is actually important. So the only time we get extreme, Results is when we get extreme beliefs. So people that tend to be on the fringe. My my belief in that the problem is people don't take that level of nuance and think about it within their personal context. I think that is the whole problem. So if you see a new study and the title is like protein timing post exercise did not enhance growth, whatever. Okay, I'm just making that title up. You shouldn't be like oh great therefore post exercise block windows a myth. No, you should say like for protein for this who do they look at? Oh, 65 year old untrained women cool. Like, doesn't mean it doesn't matter or it's bad science. This is like, okay. Like, I wonder if that's also true in three thirty-four 34 year old business executives who are working out in the afternoon. Hmm, interesting. Like, and you add that layer, but nothing is like a, oh, therefore we're done here. Um, you have to think about it within your personal context. And if you have the ability to think about the mechanism, not the like molecular mechanism, cause that's probably outside of most of your scope, but just think about like, huh, I mean, it doesn't take a degree in physiology to think, "Oh, okay, so it didn't matter when I ate my protein." And they look, and you look at the study design. It's like, "Well, we had a bunch of untrained college-age kids, and they came in fasted; they weren't eating." Oh, okay. Like, hmm, well, if that's probably then different if they came in after eating sixty grams of protein. Hmm, interesting. Like, and that's the part that we're missing is because we want new headlines. We want new people want to gain attention on the internet, right? On Instagram and like on Twitter. Password, yeah. Like they want to be able to be like either like basically everyone wants to be able to have a headline. That's going to be like, well, what, um, everyone wants to be like, what's the new thing? What's the, what's wrong? What's a myth. Right. It's just like, science doesn't work like that. It's very, very rare for us to have one thing come out and be like, Whoa, this is different. But that's what people want because they know it's going to grab more likes and more followers and make more money for people, which drives the world. Yeah, for sure. Whether it's right or wrong.
0: Obviously, I I touched on it there. Um, Anyway, what's your thoughts in terms of a vegan diet from an athletic and a health point of view?
1: So it depends on the context. um, In a bunch of different... Yeah, totally. uh, It depends on where they're coming from. Are you 30? You've been a professional athlete for nine years. That's different than are you trying to build someone into a professional athlete? Um, There's also considerations in context of, is this part of your um, personal ethics, or philosophy, your uh, approach to the world, those are separate conversations. So I will leave I will acknowledge those, but I will leave those aside for the moment, right? So for if you don't believe in killing animals for food, uh, and that's just not something you really to move on philosophically, well, fine, like, I'm not gonna waste time trying to convince you, even though it's, it's probably irrational, considering, you're not really understanding what actually happens to animals when you make more plant food. I think you're, think you're just only thinking about like the big, large, fuzzy ones. You're not thinking about all the rest of them, but nonetheless, that point aside, um, I I mean, I think I don't understand how you could look at the collective understanding of the science as we know it now, objectively and find any rationale for thinking that a vegan or vegetarian is superior. Um, That that this is, it's, it's um, being, there's no good faith. That is not a good faith argument. It's, there's no way you could fairly look at those data or any data really in any realm of it and think this is clearly a better idea. It doesn't make teleological sense. It doesn't make evolutionary biological sense. It doesn't make current sense. It doesn't make physiological sense. It doesn't match up with the data. So it just fails on every single possible level of evidence to think that it is superior. Um, can someone do it? Yeah, can do it is different than should you. Yeah. Is it all- can do it, sure. Like those are all different, um, and get, throwing out one or two people as evidence it, it means nothing. We talked about at the beginning of, of the conversation. Like, yeah, well, anecdotes not data. Um, and so what we're what we're doing with science is trying to identify not what's true. Now, science is not really able to give us truth. Now, what it does is reduce uncertainty. And so what we can say is it's most likely most people are not going to have a better performance response if they were to switch from omnivore to herbivore now does that mean no one know what that means is again most likely most people won't and that that's what science can tell us so um i have worked with vegan athletes before and it not enough though to have a, a wide like i've worked with a thousand or five thousand the ones i have worked with though it's, it's been a struggle but that that could be because it's not a great choice or it could be because at the same time those athletes uh, had other things that made their compliance difficult so you have to work at it a lot harder though for performance it's like plain and simple would you say the main
0: challenge you have with them is trying to find a decent quality protein source
1: Well, that, I mean, that's the obvious one, Uh, but there's a lot more that people don't realize um, because protein is not all, not all proteins are created equal. Um, Depends on, of course, what the goal is. Is this an endurance athlete? Is this somebody trying to, a physique competitor? Is this a baseball player where the energetics are very little? Is it a, again, professional fighter fighting 25 minutes? Um, The energetic demands are quite different. And so what we, with the problems, limitations of a, Um, all plant diet is different for all those folks, right? Uh, But not all protein is created equal. So 200 grams of broccoli protein is not the same as 200 grams of ground sirloin. Um, And so you can't just run the numbers for macros. If your conversation with vegan and um, omnivore herbivore diets ends and stops with macros, you're just really unqualified to have that conversation. Um, You have to think about other things like um, B12, omega-3s, the one that people... forget all the time is creatine like where is your creatine going to come from we know particularly for an athlete how critically important that is for performance we also understand how important that is for cognitive function for decline of, of mental acuity like where is this happening where is this getting it from and then a whole host of other um things and that would land in the micronutrient side that are that are again possible from a plant-based diet but uh, you kind of have to be really specific and careful when they come from so the protein is sort of like the obvious game one, uh, but it's all the other ones that are in my opinion the real concern yeah
0: the, the micronutrients rather than the macros
1: yeah that can be real hard again because the bioavailability in some of them is enhanced in plants and some of them it's it's reduced so vitamin a like things like this right um you're probably going to get more vitamin c from plant than you are from a piece of meat <laughs> that's pretty clear right but b12 can be the opposite creating can be opposite and so i'm not advocating um, either of these approaches for most people uh, it's probably going to be a well-balanced approach it's going to be most likely to be most successful and that's pretty clear
0: obviously you mentioned in regards to creating there from red meat is that something you would look to use with a lot of athletes in multiple times a day like red meat meals if they're more of a yeah. of sports
1: not even that i mean just any athlete. Period any human really i'm not a i'm not certainly trying to say that all of us should be eating multiple times a day of red meat um but it's not also something we need to go out of our way to avoid health-wise the 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 old adage of like our red meat being worse for us than white fish or something is like we've passed that conversation 20 years ago so um i don't go out of my way to to advocate i'm not like um stan efforting was like okay red like red meat yeah, I, did, I had Stan
0: on the podcast as well, and he was like, yeah, red meat every meal of the day, basically.
1: <laughs> right. I love him, Stan. He's great. He's a really smart guy, uh, and he's a really nice guy. But um, I'm not the opposite There was like, okay, one serving a week of red meat. Like, that's, that's crazy. Um, so I don't care that much about it. With the athletes I work with, um, I also have to deal with sustainability, and they're not going to want to live, for the most part, on a diet that is the same thing every day it's going to be really difficult. Um, I guess some people can do it, but I don't, I think there are long medium to long-term consequences with that. And it's not something I find like we need to do. And so in my opinion, we have to understand how logic works, which is you have the status quo, right? In order for me to move from the status quo, we need to have evidence to suggest that something is better, not the same, or you can do this and get back to the normal. Why would I make a change that is more difficult has, um, it is more restrictive, more limiting if all it can do is get us back to the same pot, spot at best case scenario. That doesn't make any sense. The athlete's going to be like, why are we doing this? Like, I don't like eating and all these other problems. Uh, what are we missing? What are we forgetting? So um, I don't have that approach at all unless I was in a situation where I thought like this would be actually measurably better than what we're currently doing. Then I would do it.
0: One hundred percent. saying that's. Again, I think it goes back to we talk about that, like extremes, and maybe finding more of a middle ground of people than yeah. like, probably the more again can we take like more of a balanced approach overall. It's yeah. going to be optimal for most people.
1: And at the same time, I do acknowledge there are lots of people who those extreme practices are actually the best. Never happened to any of the personal athletes I work with, but I, um, I, I do believe people when they say that. I do believe Dan when he says that. I do believe individuals when they say they did this and they got better. Um, I hundred percent believe that that's not the norm like there's a difference between that and the norm and typically what we're after is the bell curve right what's going to be most likely to work in the middle 70% because then that's easier to make recommendations as opposed to uh, giving out recommendations that are really only best for 3% of people and then 97% of us are screwed
0: yeah. that's,
1: that's probably not a good approach
0: so there's always gonna be an outlier with everything to yeah. work within reason 100% from that, that point what's your opinion on the difference from eating from fat loss for a fat loss or versus performance is there anything you would look at specifically in terms of your clients or like athletes
1: well that's actually interesting um i just covered this exact slide two nights ago in my nutrition class good time yeah so a couple of things what's interesting about it is some of the athletes i work with are purely in that like maximize physical performance things but actually most of the athletes i work with fat loss is a huge component because of weight making weight so if you're in any combat sport you have weight classes uh, the power lifters have weight classes the weightlifters have weight classes and so um i would say fat loss is probably something i deal with more so than actually just like maximizing performance i only have well then i'll put it this way the number of athletes i have in non-weight based, weight class based sports is significantly lower than the opposite so fat loss is the primary thing i'm after the vast majority of time and then balancing that with maximizing performance and in my opinion uh, the arc the scaffolding is identical between the two approaches fat loss and performance Uh, of course with performance you can hedge towards being a little more aggressive with calories Um, but even a performance athlete doesn't want to put on three pounds of extra fat that they didn't need it didn't so while we're not trying to go down we are trying to not go up more than we need to go up And we are trying to get them, you know, reasonably lean at some point. Like this is always an advantage. So I don't really see them to be that different. Um, I think the soft part, uh, the back end stuff is something that changes in terms of like, again, how you interact with people. Like, is it okay, nutrition advice for a 34-year-old mom of three with a job is different than a professional. Yeah, sure. Like that part is true. But in terms of like what you want them to eat. It's what I call the ninety percent. You know, ninety percent of these people are gonna eat ninety percent the same thing. It's really not that different. We we need to manage overall caloric intake. Right. Um, with the high performance athlete we might hedge up a little bit higher in percentage of carbohydrates, so maybe five to eight grams per kilogram body weight. Is
0: that based on them potentially having more muscle tissue or their body being more efficient at using the carbohydrates?
1: It's just it's no, it's based on the fact that they can get away with a little bit higher calories. That's it. Yeah. Um, and we want to maximize, I want to hedge towards, I'd rather them eat a little bit more than they need than the opposite. Yeah. That, that, that's it. Uh, for the fat loss folk, you might knock that down to maybe three to four grams per kilogram, maybe something like that. Who care? Some people might be two months. Some people might be six. There's a lot of variation depending on what approach they want to do. But other than that, like we're both cases, we're advocating eating a mostly entirely whole row of food. We're eating a balance. Um, we're going to stick that, that protein recommendation pretty damn close something, call it a gram per pound of body weight, maybe a little bit lower, even for performance athlete, for fat loss mom, like those numbers are not going to be that different, right? So maybe your fat loss client is actually even higher. In my case, that's one of the things that we do for fat loss is we ratchet up protein pretty quickly. Um, But we do that with performance athlete. In fact, the inverse tends to happen. Sometimes with performance athlete, we have to lower protein a little bit because it hurts our ability to get in enough total calories Mm. because they're too full all the time. Um. So as long as that number is not too critically low, then I let them get a little bit lower if they have to. Um, we're going to be conscious of liquid calories. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean avoid. It means conscious. Sometimes we're going to use them intentionally. Sometimes we're going to restrict them depending on what we do. Um, all, all the basics, uh, we're going to have a wide variety of colors in our food which is something I'm a huge advocate of. Uh, and we're going to have a, a variety of preparations. So sometimes we're going to bake. Sometimes we're going to uh, stir fry. Sometimes we're going to eat raw. Sometimes we're going to uh, grill. We're going to do a variety of preparation methods. Um, and then most important of all that is we're going to maximize adherence. Like we're going to put you in a position to where you don't feel like you're in a scarcity mindset, that you're in an abundance mindset, and that you're not worried about all these things. So really, I mean, man it's the same. And I've had a lot of people lose a lot of weight and the approach, uh, my philosophy on the thing is the same. We want about a 10% caloric restriction That's it. Um, which for fat loss folks, we want to lose about a pound, a percent of our body weight per week or something like that. Um, the only time that gets an exception is with like a fighter and we've got five weeks and we're 25 pounds overweight. Well, fight. We can't like math doesn't work. We have to be more aggressive than that. Um, now we'll trick the scale at the end, but uh, other than that, like I said, the, the goal of all of these folks is to have that very slow decline. So really, um, the, the concepts are the same, the, the, the individual methods you might tweak a little bit based on context. But like I said before, that level of change is bigger from person to person than it is athlete to non-athlete. So of all the clients I work with, I mean, they're on, they're on rapidly, massively different approaches just because they're different people. And they have different scenarios and different lifestyles. They wake up at noon or they wake up at 5 a.m. They teach, they have kids, they don't like athletes have these same sort of things. They're rich or they're not super rich. Like so the approach is just about the person rather than it is the category.
0: The big word that you said there that uh, really stuck out to me, which is uh, it's the most important one to do with everything is adherence because
1: yeah. you
0: can't adhere to it. There's no point. And that's why like this is saying I like, absolutely love and it's complexity is the enemy of execution. Sure. So, like, you make it like I can. Like clients come to me sometimes and they're like, I want a different diet plan every day. It's like, if I give you seven different diets every day, yeah. we, there's no way you can stick to this for the first week. This is way too complex.
1: Yeah, I would actually disagree fully, okay. um, 100%, because in many of the athletes I have worked with, simplicity is, is the problem yeah. because they don't get enough buy in when it's too simple. And really? So, what I try to do is figure out, yeah, because they're just like, there's no clarity.
0: Well, It's, it's too basic for them. So, like, this doesn't make
1: it's, it's There's not enough clarity. Yeah. Like they want to know exactly what to eat. And they want to know, well, I'm, you know, they're smart enough to say, like, well, my exercise was way different today. Why am I eating the same as I did yesterday? That doesn't make any sense. My, yeah. I burned way more calories today. And, the, the, and they really start to question that. But I'm also, I, I initially started to agree because. Some people are like that as well. So what I do is I kind of have two diametrically opposed approaches and I call it being a, a cook versus a baker. So the difference between cooking and baking in the kitchen, uh, baking is chemistry. Baking is very specific recipes. You can't just like toss things in, right? Like that doesn't work, but cooking is exactly that. Like how many bell peppers? I don't know. To taste, right? And how many mushrooms? I don't know. To taste, right? You can't cook a bread like that. You can't just like throw baking powder into taste. You get nothing, right? And so what I do is I try to figure out how they're going to operate. And if they are a cook, for example, then I'm 100% with you. Like, let's get real simple. Let's get basic. Let's, the goal is to do, yeah. and you list two or three really simple things. And let's worry about like long-term, what happens over a month. Let's be consistent. Let's have a, let's make this a lifestyle practice that, Great. Other folks, I do the opposite because they can't handle that level of openness. And so we'll be like, no, all right, here's the plan.
0: You must not be giving too much flexibility because they they just want like a rigid structural
1: move. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have an athlete right now, Brian Ortega, a high-level guy, 14 and won the UFC, just fought for a world title. Um, he, he did, the Options are not his strong suit. Uh, he does not like... He, the horses drink day. he does not like having them... Like this is not an area he wants to spend his mental energy on. His, his thought is like, why did I hire you if I have to think about what I'm eating? Like the whole point of hiring you is to just, I okay. open up the thing Monday, it eat, it's eat this. Then my, it says eat this one, then eat this one, then eat this one, then eat this one like that. And he doesn't care at all what's in him. There's no question. Um, when he has too many other things to think about that are, this is below his pay grade. And so he's the opposite. So the diet is very complex. And of course he's not listening. So I'll say it, but it doesn't even matter. Like that, like the, you know, it doesn't matter that it's there, but he wants something that is just laid out very clearly. I have another athlete who's the same way. Like she wants to know exactly what to eat and when she would rather not have any choices, but she would definitely like it to be catered to every single day Like, in the, and wants to be different. And she wants to be able to text me and be like, I didn't do this instead of training. What do I do instead? Cool. And when I give her an answer, even though, I don't know, 50% of the time I just make the answer up. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Like for sure. Right. Cause what we're saying, like, there's, there's your, but she wants, like it takes anxiety away. She knows like, okay, we have a plan. Like it's in place. Yeah. Or I have many other athletes who would be the exact opposite. They'd be like, what? Like, let's just check in. Like give me macros or just give me concepts. And they want to go there. So um, again, I, I really try to, I won't say this for the 19th time or I'll say it for the 19th, but I won't say the 20th. I promise. Cause your listeners are probably getting tired of hearing it, but it, for me, it really is about the individual approach. Yeah. I, I don't like systems like that. I don't, people ask me constantly like, oh, can I buy your weight loss system or your weight cut? Or like, I, I literally don't have one. It's I would never. Create quality one. Of the client really, isn't it? Their yeah. Yeah. And then things change. Like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of this one. Can we do something different? Like, Great. And sometimes it's just like a different approach. Um, but, but I'm also keep in mind, I'm intentionally building a system where that's not scalable.
0: Yeah.
1: Sorry, so just... I, it's not my life. Like I have a real, I, have a, I don't mean it that way, but like I have a full-time job yeah. elsewhere. So when I work with athletes, it's something I want to do because I want a really high touch, low volume environment. So this is probably not a good approach if you're trying to make your living having scalable practices. Um, I I work with very few athletes at a time intentionally. So I can have this level of interaction.
0: How many athletes do you work with at a time? of interest.
1: It can kind of range, depends on the season, but as low as three to four Uh, I try not to get higher than 15 right now it's probably closer to that 15 number just kind of the way some different fights have shook out and things like that Um, but I try I try to pare it down as much as I can and I also try to fire them as often as I can (laughs) or evolve them what I'll say like for example my goal is to not keep them dependent on me my goal is to get them that position where there's self-sustainable and it's just like, great, next camp, maybe you just need to like fire out a couple of questions and maybe once a month we got a chat or something like that, but um, more things pop up. What do we want? What do you think we should do differently here? But I don't want them to be like that. Um, so yeah, it kind of depends on the system, but yeah, probably closer to at least 15 right now with maybe half of those are, I would say really high touch. Like they're in my facility every day uh, or like, yeah, things like that, like really high touch. The other ones are, the other ones are probably more like conceptual once a week. We could touch base like, hey, what's go- what do you want to do here? Um, so I kind of have a little bit of a split between those right now because like the baseball players, it can't be in every day. They're traveling.
0: No, it's All the time, time. So
1: yeah, so those things will be more like. I mean, I'll watch their games or I'll follow up and check and be like, okay, we did this, whatever. I'll track their they're tracking their food sort of remotely, so I'll just pop in and overlook things where other people need um. either again, they're either here every single day or or whatever or five days a week, whatever they are, and or the remote ones or that's how my day starts. Like they got to check in every morning every day. What are we doing? And then we'll usually check in five six times a day, if not more, with a small handful of those. Yeah, it's a really high touch. So
0: What's, I'm curious, what sort of um feedback would you be looking for the clients on check in, of the ones who are checking in multiple times a day?
1: Man, it, it, what, what it is, is totally different for the individual person. Okay. Um half the time, you know, it's sort of like uh so I'll put it this way, for some of them that are we'll say really well educated in the space. And or maybe more mature or not mature is not the right word. They're just like different personalities. It might be like, okay, if we tried this um, this amount of food prior to the workout. how to feel? Like were you too full? Not enough? How was the energy? Okay, well okay. F- so for this workout, let's go ahead and do the or let's add this in now because you didn't have enough gas or you're feeling kind of low from this one. You got to go spar. Even though we did this last week, the energy's lower today. Add this back or no? Don't do this right. And so maybe just like really straight stuff. Um, the other ones, it's ninety percent how to practice go like, Oh my God, I'm crying. Like it was a horrible day. And now like 90% of the, the conversation is about something not related to nutrition or performance at all.
0: More of a psychologist.
1: Totally. Like you're, <laughs> you're very much like, um, and, and the way I approach them is, is like, they're going to get it. I'm probably going to insult them. Most likely going to talk trash to them. Like, most likely. Yeah. I'm just going to be like, Oh, you had a bad practice today. Like, good. Cause you're probably gonna lose the fight anyway. So it doesn't really <laughs> matter. You know, just like, but they know like that's what's coming, so they. I want it's my way of being like it's not that big a deal, um, or they want communication with someone. So it, it's kind of I have a kind of a combination of all, of all those outlets right now. Where like I just know. Also, um, I may sit around and think like you know what, she or he would, uh, would probably really appreciate if I just reached out right now and said, this thing here. So those are in my mind as well. Even like I don't need the feedback, but I, I want them to know I am thinking about them that they that they're uh you know that somebody's there really caring about them the whole way because they don't have a head coach that's really there or they don't have a spouse or something like that to give them that so i want to make sure that that they, they think somebody out there cares about them constantly and I think you know. sometimes people
0: don't understand maybe the pressure that like athletes in particular if they're not in team sports are under and oh, oh, oh like the way i like to say as being an entrepreneur is like you're like an island because you're on your own there's no one else yeah. like yeah yeah Particularly if you're an athlete and you're not on the team and it's like you're a fight, there, there, there is, and I could understand why they pull on someone like you for support because there is never anyone else to lean on essentially if they haven't got a wife or family around them.
1: Yeah, and it, I mean, it really is, like, especially the Olympic athletes. It's like, all right, the last three years is going to come down to next week. And then you're 30, so your career's over if you don't make this happen. Pressure. and it's just like it's five weeks away okay now it's four weeks and six days away okay now it's four weeks five days and a half a day away like it's just a and like it's a lot and typically olympians they don't have any money they don't have all these things so they're sitting around doing the whole like okay what happens now basically my career is over in december or whatever you know and i'm 35 i have no money i have no idea what to do you know, like you're like this is also going on etc or even the baseball players the same thing it's like okay you're making 18 million right now if you have a reasonable year you might make 40 million next year like this this is a 20 million dollar day you're about to go through <laughs> like uh like this is really that pressure is incredibly high it's, it's it's pressure like nothing i ever have to deal with personally and so um some of them handle it different than others but yeah it's it's really real uh with, with fighting especially like there's no guarantee you get to play again no, like you're in the UFC like you don't just get to be like well there's a game scheduled next Friday like I get to play unless coach pulls me like no you can go out and win and they UFC might show off you for four months and you just don't know or like they not and when your income is based on fighting it's like are you gonna get paid twice this year or three times well, like that's a really, that goes from like, can't pay my coaches to, okay, I can afford to buy a house. Mm-hmm. So like, this is really, um, it, it's a lot of pressure. And then they get that one call, but you, you know, have a, a torn labrum in your shoulder. You, you have to, you have to, like, you don't get an opportunity again. Like you have to go fight. And so now you're like, yeah, I'm trying to train. but And so you get the, just like, there's so many things that go on in their real life where you're like, man, this is a tough gig.
0: No, 100%. 100% hence why you probably come a, a lot of the psychologists and probably an expert in that as well
1: now how <laughs> oh, i wouldn't say that actually i have several really close colleagues that are proper sports psychologists and so i, I do push many many clients to them that makes sense makes sense um, and, or actually i do this too like sorry to yeah but um i think this is an important message as well is i understand that that is not my expertise and so not only do I push my clients to them, but I will have conversations with the sports psychologists about me and my approach with them a ton. So I will say things like, um, look, I, I know you can't violate your personal confidentiality with Charlie, but you know I'm coaching. We're working together, right? And so based on what you guys are working on, what should I avoid? Are there any things I shouldn't be doing, or are there any things I can be doing better from a coaching perspective? And I have found that unbelievably helpful um so if you can do that without them they don't have to violate their confidentiality stuff but they can say things like the right these these phrases or this style of thing is not something we want to emphasize right now and so uh th- yeah that again that's been helpful
0: that um in regards to come back to sort of athletes and people in general what's your but another big fad, obviously, we brief, briefly talked about the, the vegan approach on um, terms of keto and low carb diets in terms mm-hmm. of athletic performance and fat loss. Obviously, fat loss is going to be some form of calorie restriction, we're obviously you have to take from somewhere. But yeah. What's your opinion on like the whole keto fad as well? That's a big, big um, rave about in terms of fat loss.
1: Yeah. So, uh, if you look at it from, uh, we'll tackle performance first. Um, at this point, you just would have to admit it's inferior. Logically makes no sense to me. It logically makes no sense. It biochemically doesn't make any sense. It physiologically doesn't make any sense. And again, the performance data all supports the same thing. It just doesn't make any sense. And in fact, it's worse than that. It Depending on the exact uh, sport you're in, if it's virtually anything glycolytic endurance based, uh, it's gonna be inferior. And that's just as almost as plainly as you can say it. Now, some things that are not endurance-based at all may be equal, but it's not better. Um, we don't have any indication of all of the research that it actually enhances sport performance of any kind with potentially one exception, which would be like extreme ultra-marathon, really high-level, you know, 200-mile things like that. But even then, it's questionable and likely just the same. All right, with potential things. But anything below that spectrum, it's at best going to take you back to the same thing. At worst, or at normative, it's going to harm your performance. So that being said, if we look at now just like fat loss, it's the same thing. It at best has a very, very slight advantage, but practically will have none. Um, so I don't see any need to go out of your way to do it. Having said that, one of the things we do have to acknowledge is it is very effective. It, it appears to be very sustainable. People pro- appear to have almost no problem with the adherence of it. Um, that was one of our initial concerns and I don't, I don't think that's true. Like it, it, The signs would say that it, it is effective and people are not having a hard time doing it. They don't fall off the bandwagon um, from a group average level, more so than they fall off of any dietary change. Right? So I think that part of the equation has to be acknowledged. So in terms of fat loss with keto, my personal, based on the, the research uh, as we understand it now, is it seems to be a viable option if you want. So if you've tried other diets and they haven't worked before for fat loss and you want to try keto, great. If you have no interest in keto and it sounds terrible, you don't have to do it. You can certainly lose weight other ways. If um, you're really gung-ho for it, again, you can try it. That seems to be just fine. It's not going to be superior not going to be any better, um, but if it is easier for you to follow and execute and makes your execution or adherence better, then it will work better. But there's nothing magic about it. Um, there are some unique advantages that keto does offer for other things. Like clearly at this point, everyone's heard about epilepsy yeah. and, that, and that seems to be a great approach for that. Um, but other than that really small area, it doesn't seem to be a massive advantage for just about anything else.
0: Again, when you say, as we've already said like a million times, it comes back to the individual and probably the totally. psychology of the individual. If they're not yeah. that bothered about eating carbohydrates, then it probably works them great. If you love bread, for example, then again, a keto diet is probably not going to be your cup of
1: tea. Yeah, I mean, I have a professional fighter right now who's super into it, and what he does is post fight, he goes right back into keto ke- uh, to eat keto diet, ketogenic. Your fighting diet. face,
0: you have him fueled with carbohydrates then. Hundred percent. That's
1: going like. A lot, 400, 500 grams of carbs a day. And what's his um, now, the keto it, fighting Is that for cognitive function or just how he's feeling? Um, he's very concerned about uh, brain damage. Okay. So after a fight, uh, he, and I don't disagree with him here, he says like there, there's not incredibly strong arguments, but there is some argument that potentially that is um, neuroprotective. So if it's equal or potentially better, for him it's worth it. Because yeah, okay. he said that the consequences of missing this are so grave that any potential advantage I have, I'm going to take. Um, and when we first started working together a couple of years ago, he actually wanted to do keto in fight camp. And I said, okay, man, like at this point, he'd been 20 UFC fights or something like that. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, your career, like, what do you want to do here? And that simply didn't last long. He was just like, I can't, I don't have fifth gear. It's like, I'm fine, but I just don't have that last gear I need to get to. And his fighting style is very, a war of attrition style. So he's like, I can't lose that. Um, So it it wasn't my thing. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to do a keto. Okay, great. And then I tried to help him do it as best as possible. And he came then back and was like, this is not working great. So then we sort of adjusted. So he'll float back and forth now. Um, So I think that's an important thing also as well is there's a difference when a client comes to you and says, I don't know what to do. What should I do? versus here's what I want to do. Can you help me do it the best way possible? I missed that message early on in my career. And I, i conflated the second one with the first one, or, or rather I'll say I conflated the second one with always being the first one. And so what I mean is if somebody came to me and said, Oh, I want to do keto and train for this fight with keto, I would always respond with why they shouldn't do it. I don't do that anymore. Like if they ask me, what do you think about it? I will tell them, I don't think you should do it. But if they come to me already saying, this is what I'm going to do. um, Can you help me do it the best possible? Then, I mean, I might ask them one time um, why you want to do that. Are you really sure? Are you understand sort of the And My belief is that that's not the best approach. And if they they say, no, no, like this is what I want. Then I'll say, okay, great. And I'll never bring it up again. And then I will actually not like even self-sabotage or hope they like, I hope it doesn't work so I can prove them. I'm a hundred percent like, man, I got to figure out how to make this thing work because I know the limitations, and so I really want to make it work for them. My goal is to try to defy the physiology and make it work. I don't want them to fail. We say it's it, like,
0: find it Interesting, like the same thing I, I probably learned last year or so with myself and also with clients in terms of exercise selection. So, like for example, if you hate doing a barbell squat, why are you doing that in a workout unless you're <laughs> right. like, do you know what I mean? if if you don't enjoy the exercise and yeah. you yeah. be doing it because you're probably not going to give it your all? Whereas if you enjoy doing a hack squat, for example, you'll probably yeah. push yourself harder and get better results on that. You probably don't like it for a reason.
1: Right. And there's some things that we need to push discomfort on and there's some that we just just don't. Uh, I think that's also sort of like a pseudo good message to think about in terms of outside of exercise. Yeah. So are there things going on at work? Are there practices that you're doing every day that you just like think you have to do, but you hate them and you're like, I don't really maybe have to do this.
0: I'm have you, had, you know, uh, read the book uh called the one thing it's very it's a business book it's basically about how like basically 90 percent of your success in life is based around doing one or two things very well and the rest of the stuff you just fluff out your life with which isn't really important it's the sort of the same analogy with that which is quite interesting
1: yeah and i'm not familiar with the book but <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of the reasons why people ask me how i can for example like how do you work with athletes how do you run like how are you scientists not getting fired for all this i'm like i'm pretty good at just being like i don't really have to do that part like i know you're saying i have to do that but i'm not going to do that Like, can just like all the stuff on the back end that you get they pick down like oh you got to do this training and you got to do this i'm like really i'm tenured are they really going to fire me for this probably not i'm just not going to do that anymore <laughs> I, love that. I love that
0: um just coming on to one last point before we finish up so i don't want to keep you too long andy um, yeah i've got a biopsy here in a few minutes so okay, well, we'll, we'll wrap up quickly so one last question What's your um, thoughts on the future of performance in sports and where, where it's going? you think there's anything new that's coming or anything? To-
1: yeah, no, I do. I think actually we are close to making a real um, bump physiologically. So what I mean by that is everyone I'm sure is aware of the sports gene in Epstein's great book, right? And um, he makes a very compelling argument that uh, for a very long time, we are really not improved physically. So some records keep getting broke. We talked about on offline before the start of the two hour marathon finally got broke and all these things, right? But he makes a pretty compelling argument that the vast majority of these changes are actually simply coming from changes in technology. In this case, the track is better. The shoe is better. The clothing is more efficient um, that we're actually not physically running any faster. So if you took all these folks, put them on the exact same track naked and had them all run even the highest trained LeBron James or whatever you want to do with all the sports science behind them is really not actually better than somebody in the 1940s without that stuff. It's just technology differences, right? So the court, the shoes, things like that. And the argument's pretty compelling. and, And to be honest, it's pretty accurate. Having said that, I think we are because we are now in the age of precise or precision medicine. That is going to change. So the problem is we have never had the ability to actually optimize anyone because our brains are not smart enough to take all the variables that happen to physiology and really understand how that works. An example, blood work, right? This is something we advocate people do all the time is look at your blood work, right? And you want to know whether or not, whether your vitamin A is optimized, your testosterone is low, et cetera. Well, the problem with that assumption is we don't know what those optimal numbers are. And we don't know, like, if testosterone goes down, why that's actually happening. We tend to think of it as, like, binary. We want this one to be here and here. We want this one to go up, this one down. But when, when you change one, the entire system changes. So we don't understand how the whole thing works because when you move one, unlike science, when you move one piece and keep everything else the same, see what happens. In physiology, when one piece moves, everything else moves. And that everything, in this case, is hundreds of millions. And so, like, we just don't have the brain computing power to figure out then what really happened other than well this thing went up i think that's good but the system changed the entire scaffolding changed behind it the, the environment changed with supercomputing we're going to have that power now and so instead of just getting uh, things done like i love um what the guys at nourish balance Thrive are ever doing with the blood chemistry calculator right and it's just like okay get 30 things measured we can predict ten thousand with 90 percent accuracy or whatever um this is real this is here and this is when we can actually then come and say like okay actually turns out you charlie want your a vitamin a to be here we want vitamin d to be here we want that we we can get things really close to optimize it's not here yet it's not here in five years um but people are on to the idea the other piece of that is uh, people are also generally working away from siloed research, which is like, I do my research, I collect my data, I keep my data. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what's going on, you and I actually be forced to do the opposite, which is you have to put all of your individual data points into these big registries that are open access. And people can data mine and software can run through these things. And because of that, we're finally going to get real answers because it can account for so many more variables at once that we cannot, right? With science, we can only account for one at a time, but computers can do hundreds and thousands at a time. And we're going to be able to see patterns um, much more accurately than just even like DNA testing, which doesn't tell you really anything. But you're going to throw that in there with blood work. You're going to throw that in there with hormone profiles. You're going to throw that in there with age and lifestyle factors. How happy are you? Like all of these things are going to go into one. So we're going to start to see like, oh, wow, you actually need this. And so the idea of personalized, individualized training right now is a complete joke. It's utter nonsense, right? It's very, very, very primitive is what I'll say. Uh, that primivity is going to be gone fairly soon. So that's, um, that's kind of the age that we're in.
0: Cool. Well, we'll wrap that up there, Andy, because I know you're a busy man and you've got to shoot off. Uh, thank you so much for that. It was an absolute pleasure. So for anyone to find out any more information about you getting in touch with you or about your book or anything else, where's best to get in touch?
1: Uh, the the socials, you know. Um, Dr. Andy Galpin on Instagram? yeah and twitter you know twitter is the better one for direct linking to studies and things like that because um, i hate like changing my bio every damn time i do something <laughs> I, yeah. I usually like i throw the title up there you just google it if you want and i don't care uh, but those things are there um youtube if you want uh, to watch any of the videos so I, I try to take all my class lectures and stuff and put those up so if you want to learn x-fiz program design and strength conditioning stuff uh, nutrition that's all up there and that's all free um so you can get it all pretty much there that's where Twitter and Instagram and the YouTubes would be the places to go. Awesome, awesome.
0: Absolute pleasure for that. Um I'm sure there's tons of tons of knowledge that I've personally taken away from, I'm sure everyone listening will do. So uh thank you very much for that, Andy.
1: Appreciate it, man.